I should be saying welcome to the Inner Ho Uprising podcast because they really came through on this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. I was not in the best headspace at the time of this recording, but Sam was able to get the rest of the podcast hosts together to share their experiences with healthcare providers as part of the We Need a Button campaign by Dating.com group um, and just talk through some of their experiences with providers. You'll hear from Sam, Akua, Rebecca, and Rob, who um, I met Sam and Rebecca at STD Engage, that conference that everyone was so generous about donating in order to help me get out there too. Um, the event was put together by the National Coalition of STD Directors and Sam and Rebecca were there in person and they were invited uh, onto the stage to speak about some of their experiences. And Rob, they shared their story about poor health care and that story just rocked me. And I really wish I would have just sat and recorded that and I could have just uploaded that to the podcast feed. But it was great to get all four hosts on. It was very energetic and vibrant. I had to cut myself out of parts of this and then go in and re-record me just asking a couple of questions or making comments. And so majority of it is going to be the hosts of the Inner Hope Uprising podcast talking. And you should definitely go and check out their podcast. I'm going a link to it in the show notes here um and it's <clears throat> excuse me it's a podcast about dating love and sex from four 20 something year old feminist millennials who live in new york um definitely definitely check it out if you have well uh, there's no if you have a chance to go check the podcast out shit it's really good um yeah, so I met them at STD Engage. We hit it off, and we didn't hit it off. I don't even know why I said that. We had a conversation about me having them on the podcast specifically to talk about this, and their podcast is way energetic, funny, entertaining, whereas mine's just more educational, and occasionally our guests come on and bring life to the podcast, and this was one of those situations. This was pretty heavy. It was a pretty heavy conversation that we had, but... Um, it's definitely worth the listen, and it gives you an idea of the importance of being able to determine whether a healthcare provider is queer-friendly, empathetic, and um, just a way for us to be able to identify these kinds of things if they're sex positive. I think that that's probably the overall message here is just, are you a sex positive healthcare provider? And you know, yes, no, uh, then maybe you shouldn't be practicing health care in terms of sexuality and sexual health if you're uncomfortable with it. So this is a third episode that was recorded as a result of attending STD Engage. So um, here's our live, well, it's not live, it's post-STD Engage. I wish I could name it that, but maybe we'll throw that in there somewhere, um, especially since the kind folks at NCSD brought us together. So who knows? Um, all right, my heater is about to come on and make a whole lot of noise. Um, if you haven't already, please check out all of the previous episodes of Something Positive for Positive People. Like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast. It's going to really help us moving forward in terms of being able to 
just support people, man. It's really, it's really, really important for people to be able to access this information soon after their diagnosis. I've been getting more, uh, there's been an uplift, an uptick in the number of people who've been reaching out to me lately talking about how they were diagnosed. And this was one of the first resources they found. So the SEO is working. Um, the recommendations are coming in and people are telling their friends about this resource. And I just really appreciate everyone for all of their contributions to the show. So here we go. We're going to get into this podcast episode of the Inner Ho Up. I mean, <laughs> the Something Positive for Positive People uh, podcast featuring the Inner Ho Uprising podcast hosts about their experiences with healthcare providers in regards to not just sexual health, but I guess actual health. Um, that's a weird way of saying that. All right, we're going to start with Akua. All right, you have Akua. So um, my actual, my last time seeing a provider for sexual and reproductive health or for testing has been quite a while. Um, also given because I haven't been sexually active in quite a while. Um, so we're taking this back maybe two, two and a half years. I have a history with two separate providers regarding my sexual and reproductive health. Uh, first was my OBGYN, who I've been seeing since about 17 or who I was seeing since about 17 to maybe my earliest 20s. She delivered my child. I have a child. I kind of came in paths with her during um, my experience with teenage pregnancy. I kind of stuck with her. She delivered my child. She knew a lot of my health. I hadn't been sexually active for much longer before then. Um, so she knew all of my medical history regarding those things. So I stuck with her. But the treatment was poor. She was a black woman. A lot of my providers are black women. I guess it was the run of the facility. So after giving birth, I had my six-week checkup, which went quickly. A lot of our appointments went quickly. It lacked a lot of bedside manner, a lot of really talking with you about what's going on. Because I was a teenager, I feel like my experience was really biased. So like at my six-week checkup, there was this discussion of birth control that really didn't involve me as an independent person. It was like, you going on birth control because you can't have no more kids. I understand I'm underage or not of an age that people find acceptable to be having kids, but I would like to be a part of this conversation. It was kind of just thrust upon me. I understood the importance of birth control and had wanted to be on birth control for as long as I became sexually active, so I, I went with it. Now, in hindsight, she didn't really explain all of the available options. It was kind of like the pill, and then it was kind of like, well, here's an IUD because it lasts longer. It was a very strong emphasis on, you don't need to be having no more kids. <laughs> Moving forward from that, whenever I did go to get testing, it was a lot of, it was, again, a lot of stigma. It was kind of like, you've had a baby, and now you're still having sex. And I was like, yeah, the fuck? <laughs> like, you ain't going to be fucking. I don't, you, and you're going to do my testing. I feel like the thought process was that I was to be so ashamed that I would just stop being sexually active until an older age or a more responsible age. And that's really not how life works. Um, so when I would go for checkups, when I would go for testing, there would be that stigma, those kind of looks or this kind of tone in her voice, like, oh, you still fucking, and I'm like, yeah. And um, I would do my tests, and I remember that a lot of times I would have to follow up about my results, which I didn't seem like was good practice. 
my results were typically negative. So I assumed that that was it. But I also feel like at some point there should be outreach, whether negative or not, that I'm getting these results and I don't have to like search for them or dig for them or go through my patient portal for them. Like there should be another conversation about this. I stopped seeing her after I had complications with my IUD. And what is a risk of IUDs is that they can um, move about the uterus. So IUD is a birth, a contraceptive device which is implanted into the uterus. Um, and what can happen with it is that it can move throughout the uterus from placement. It can embed into your uterine lining, which is dangerous. It can move out of your uterus through the uterine roll into other parts of your abdomen cavity, which is dangerous. What had happened with mine was that mine had moved out of place. I was never really told where it had gone, but I had also had an ovarian abscess at the time, which was causing me a lot of uh, abdominal pain. Um, so that's what I went in for and then later found that my IUD had also migrated. <laughs> so uh, she treated me for the ovarian, um, ovarian abscess and they removed my IUD. And again, came this conversation to like, get another one. I was like, you know, at this time, I'm a, a little bit more knowledgeable. I'm like, well, there are these other options that I can have. And she seemed really against it. Um, so we just kind of parted ways following that. After parting ways with her, I did a lot of clinics. I get tested maybe every six months, depending on how sexually active I am. And that's not much. I just started seeing providers at a woman's health clinic in my community. And I think that was the last time or close to the last time I was tested. I saw this provider. I, you know, stated I wanted to get tested for STIs and whatnot and to discuss birth control. I wanted to go back on birth control and speak with someone who would give me the range of options that are out there. And as I'm sitting with him, he's reading me my results and he's just like, well, your chlamydia is good and your syphilis is good. And I'm like, my who is what? Because this is the first time of me hearing I got anything. And um, I had to make him clarify. He was like, no, I'm saying that your tests are back negative. I'm like, all right, so that is the language we got to use. I let that kind of go. I moved past that to the talk of birth control. And here again, he looked at me and was like, well, what you want? I was like, what you got? Like, what you mean <laughs> what I want? Like, I was looking for a real fleshed out conversations of well this is your age and this is your demographic and this will be what's best for you and he really looked at me like so like he really asked what do you want and I was like so what is out there and I am for you know client-led discussions about needs and um contraceptives and thing and medicine but I shouldn't have to do the googles and figure out all the types of things that are there when you have been trained and educated to do that as part of their professional duty is to stay up to date on what is available and know who would be best for whatever kind of medication or whatever they're prescribing. He kind of threw, well, there's the pill and then there's the one they inject. And I had been kind of thinking of the NuvaRing. So I was just like, you know what? I'll, I'll take that one. And at that point I, I just wanted to go. So I was like, I'll take the NuvaRing. And I was expecting a conversation about how to insert how to remove, how to use, how to maintain. And he was like, all right, so it's at your pharmacy. Kind of good luck. <laughs> and I was just like, all right, I'm going to have to go do my Googles. You know, I'm going to have to go speak with my close friends, and I'm going to figure this out. Um, and that was pretty much my last experience. Yeah. It's, it's sad that it's kind of common 
in the healthcare field, um, even in in general med in general medicine, talking to some providers, it's been like, so what do you think? And I'm like, you haven't given me the options. You haven't given me any information. They, they you've expected me to come in here with an idea of what I need, and only if you agree with it, you're okay. And if not, you're like, no. What else you got? Like, <laughs> what I felt was that they really didn't want to do their job. They they really wanted to just get their numbers in and you can do that labor yourself outside of my office. So would you say there was discomfort or some bias maybe from the care provider? Definitely. And along with um, my first provider, kind of checking your biases about whatever your client brings to you because teenage pregnancy is real. People with positive um, test results and STIs are real. Like... And if you have, if you're in this field and you have a bias, you have to check that because it's going to come across in the in the care and the service that you provide to these clients. To someone who might have been in a similar position as where you were, given hindsight after having the experience that you've had, what would you tell someone who's in that position? Well, uh, first, that it is very important for your physical and mental health to um, get these tests done. You're physical, mental, and sexual health to get these tests done. Um, And even if you are a bit reluctant, even if you have come across some um, less than qualified gems in this field, um, you you can ask for what you need from these providers. It is their jobs to um, give you what you need. That is the reason for this whole exchange. So don't be afraid to go in and really discuss what you need and don't leave until you've gotten what you need. All right. Thank you so much, Akua. At SCD Engage, I interviewed a public health professional, Tessa, who stressed the importance of checking your biases ahead of time and knowing what they are and then maybe just deciding that you may not be the best person to work with someone or you need to do the work in order to get past those biases as a professional so thank you for that next we're going to get to rebecca can you recall your most recent or a previous experience with healthcare providers so for me i guess it kind of goes back a little bit because i had just started trying to look for doctors like as an adult where i was like oh let me not go to pediatrician anymore and let me just look for a doctor um, so I found this system. I don't know if I can say the name, but the thing that I really loved about it is I've always hated the idea of like I get a test and then I have to go back and go to the doctor and be like, hey, can you give me this paper uh, so that I can get my results, et cetera, et cetera. It can be really a lengthy process. And for me personally, I have to go to the doctor at least every six months because I have Hashimoto. So they have to check my levels and make sure like the medicine I'm taking is OK. So like if I could get something that's quick. I'm like, I'm doing it. So I had started with them because they everything's online. So I can just get my information. I can refill my prescriptions. I could do all type of stuff. For me, I'm always obsessed with like finding a doctor that's close within this system. Like I don't I don't leave it. Uh, so when I first started, I was with this doctor who when I walked in, I was pleasantly surprised because she looked exactly like me. It was a, a big black woman. I was like, hey, sis, what's up? What, what are we doing here? Um, it was a good time. I felt really comfortable. I was able to ask a million and one questions uh, and I felt kind of relieved just because it was just like not one. T- and this is something that happens. And I'll, I'll explain later why I felt relieved is because not one time did she mention my weight. Not even a little bit like we talked about my health. I felt like I learned more about my health. 
but my weight was somehow not involved in that. And I can't help but notice this person looks like me. So why would we have this conversation? Because we're both here. So let's do it. You know what I mean? So I tried to book another appointment with her and apparently she's extremely popular i understand why because she was she had great bedside manner i felt like i needed to come back um but because it's kind of like urgent for me to keep going i can't wait for her to be available i just need to find somebody so i had actually ended up booking an appointment with someone who shares the office with her so i'm thinking oh okay if they're in close proximity they have to have the same type of mannerisms all that type of stuff um, I walked in, it was a Hispanic woman, so I was like, okay, it's a person of color, uh, so that's cool, because that's important to me, and I walk in, and it was completely different, it was very cold, I had to complain about, I think my back hurting or something, I'm like, okay, I'm 24 at the time, my back doesn't hurt, what's going on, she's like, you know, all you gotta do is exercise, uh, wait, the entire conversation was wait, so it was just like, okay, this is different, like, it's a different thing altogether, um, so I had started avoiding the doctor as much as I could. I just kept refilling the same prescription that I had, not really knowing that if it was the right level, it was just working for the time. But recently, and this goes, the backstory is because recently I had to go back to the doctor because I wanted to get tested again because I had a new partner and then they had asked me to get tested. So I was like, of course, I'm going to get the results. Uh, so I came in and she was the only person that was available, the same person, um, the Hispanic woman that I didn't really like I'd actually even called before that and said, are you sure there's nothing available? You know, I even expressed, I was like, look, she makes everything about my weight. I don't feel comfortable with that. I just want to be able to ask certain questions and not have it be about something I didn't ask about. And they're like, oh, you know, we can take note of it, but it's not something that we can, you know, guarantee an appointment with another doctor. Ended up getting an appointment with the original doctor. And then I get an email literally right before that she's leaving practice altogether because she had a family emergency. So I'm like, okay, I'll never see this person again. So that sucks. So let me just stick with who I had. So I go in and I'm kind of mentally preparing for it. But there was a couple of questions on the questionnaire that are like different answers now. So one of the questions was, have you, who do you have sex with? I had had sex with men and women at the time. So it was like, oh, okay, well now I have to change the answer. So this, I don't know what difference that makes in terms of practice or what they test for and stuff like that I mean I knew but just to be as you're supposed to be transparent with your doctor so that's I was like I'm gonna just say everything so I just put it all on there and I went in and I don't know why I was hoping for something else I was but it, it didn't turn out any different I even got a raised eyebrow when she was like I just want to make sure I'm reading this correctly because you changed this it's men and women I was like yeah and it was just like this this look uh, <laughs> And it was like when I started first started with birth control with the other person, I think the reason why I keep bringing it back is because when you have a good experience, it shines such a stronger light on someone not doing what they should be doing. When I had talked about birth control before, she was just asking me, the original uh, person, she had asked me so many questions about how I was feeling afterwards after the follow-up. Do you think we should change it? What do you feel like? I actually had to change my birth control because one of them just making me extremely depressed. It was like I didn't want to do anything. Because I was taking the pill when I changed because they lowered the estrogen or lowered some level and they changed it a little bit. It made the world of a difference. But this is because she's like pushing and pulling information and finding out. With the new doctor, it was just like, oh, you're taking birth control? Glanced past it. Didn't ask me any questions, anything like that. She literally started dancing, was like, you lost weight from the last time you were here. And I was just like, oh, it was a whole thing. And I was just like, oh, okay. I just wanted to get my test results. At this point, it's almost as if 
I've become so numb to it that like I know she's gonna do something. I just I need you to take this blood so I don't even want to have this conversation with. If I could do it myself, cause like I f- refill my birth control prescription on my own online now. Like I don't even want to have this conversation with a provider because it's just like if I could do it myself, I will. So this is the only thing like I literally cannot do. And if I need my medicine, I need it from you. So. Yay, you're happy, great. And then when my levels change, she was like, that's strange because if you lose weight, then your levels, I'm like, and I know that based off of this disease that I have, it's not only weight-based. Like, things can change. Like, if I am under stress, that can change the levels, all that type of stuff. But it's the only thing that she's ever focused on is my weight. And that's been a, a thing since I was a kid. I just thought that maybe some things would change. And knowing that it is possible, it's frustrating because you don't ask me how I'm doing. You don't ask me like, hey, has any there been any life changes that might affect certain things? Never been a question. That was kind of my last experience. I just did it because I had to. And I only stay within the system, even though like some people be like, well, why don't you go to a different provider? I'm like, in terms of convenience, even if I have to deal with this, when I mean like I can literally cr- press a button and get my prescription, I'd rather have that than you know, go through this all over again and keep having to try different doctors, even though it's not always the best situation. All right. So do you think there's a difference based on knowledge or discomfort around sex that made the second provider focus solely on your weight? Like, is it possible that they may have felt so uncomfortable or just unknowledgeable that your weight had to be the center of attention because that may have been the only thing that they were comfortable with talking about um i was only gonna say because i think this is based off of even talking to people when we went to std engage um there's a difference my the first doctor is a general physician but i think she's also a family doctor the one that i had the good experience with and then the other one is just a um not just because that's a big deal just a, a general practitioner i think when people deal with like vaginas in any capacity or just like sexual reproduction in any capacity they kind of feel like they can have more of a conversation but sometimes people just need to go to a like and a primary care doctor and i think we were talking and they said that like they're not really trained to have those conversations like unless they want to go into that they will but most of the time they want to gloss over it so i think you had said something about people being uncomfortable with sex and I think that's a thing, like, you know, but if you're providing this service, you're providing this SED testing, you have to be comfortable having this conversation. I mean, it's not, it's a part of, it's just as important as me saying, hey, like, my knee feels dislocated, can you fix this or something like that? Like, or if you're not, have that conversation and say, hey, I can recommend you to this, even though I think that's, I, I don't know how that works, but even just going further and if you know that you're not capable of having a conversation, at least having the resources to recommend me to someone else or, you know, hey, even acknowledge the fact that you're not having this conversation. Hey, I see you're on birth control. You know, that's not really my specialty, but, you know, if you have any questions about that, X, Y, Z, um, which has never been a thing. It's like you, I see that you, you I can see you're uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I, I don't know why, but I'm not uncomfortable. It's my body, but I'm here. And just like, I don't know if you're a general practitioner who's like doesn't want to have those conversations because I think that's a choice, then you need to either not offer those services or like come with the know-how or recommend somebody who does. What's your comfort level on a sex ed specialist for those birth control, STD tests, reproductive health type questions. I think that if we raise the standards, we're able to eliminate these unmet expectations. 
would I be comfortable? Yeah, that's that's an ideal situation. Somebody who knows what they're talking. Can I bring in someone who knows better than me? Absolutely. Hell yeah. Bring them in. Yeah, I would be. I think that would be great. Of course. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. Who's next? Sam, I see you over there. You ready? Hi, this is Sam speaking. I would like to go next. Nice to see you again. Uh, thank you for having us. I have a lot of experiences of uh, healthcare providers like not knowing what the fuck they're talking about. Um, and I can tell my one anecdote, but before that, I just wanted to like piggyback on this idea of like bringing in one sex educator per practice. To me, that sounds like a good Band-Aid, but I just think there needs to be like a severe overhaul. Like there is no reason why you should be practicing if you're like, what does pansexual mean? Like you shouldn't be looking at Rebecca being like men and women as a doctor. Like you are providing a public service. That makes no sense. So like this one person who's like translating for every doctor in the practice can be nice. But what about when that one person is seeing one patient? Like what is the other doctor doing in the other room? Like these are very basic things in 2020 right now. Like what the hell is your problem? Like one, you're a doctor. So your job is to like stay abreast of new practices. So that should be something that you're doing as a part of your job, in my opinion. But also a lot of these things like... Everybody has a phone in their pocket. Simple Google searches that they don't know. Simple Google searches. Speaking of which, here's my anecdote. So the last time I, this is not like the last time I went to get tested, but this is the last interesting time for the sake of a podcast. So I was informed by uh, one of my sexual partners that he had chlamydia earlier this year. He told me that I should get tested, which greatly appreciate that. There are like sexual clinics by me, but I don't like going to them because it's like a really like days long experience because it's where everybody goes. Not that I don't like going to my gynecologist, but I find that gynecologists are really hard to get appointments at. I don't know if anybody else has that experience. It'll be like two months and I'm like, I can't wait that long. So I went to see uh, my primary care doctor to get tested for chlamydia. Um, And, you know, knowing what I know about sexual health literally just from this podcast and the research that I do from this podcast and like interviewing people from this podcast, I'm like, okay, like chlamydia is site located. So this can be a vaginal infection. This can be an anal infection or this could be a throat infection. I don't have anal sex and we were having protected vaginal sex or penetrative sex. So I thought, oh, maybe this is like the case where I need to like take a pee test and also get a throat swab. So I go to um, my primary care, who's like not really my primary care, but I'm also a part of a network. So I'm like, okay, whatever, like black woman I can get at the time. So I get a black woman and earlier that year I had had a false positive for syphilis. And while I'm telling her, like she's looking at my charts, while I'm telling her that I have uh, like a chlamydia scare, she's like, and syphilis too? And she looks at me like I'm the worst fucking person who's ever existed. Her eyes are like wide at the screen, like... It was a false positive, but, like, first of all, what if I did have it? Like, come on, that's mad disrespectful. Um, and then also, like, I'm here to get a service, so what is the judgment? And then I said, no, it was just a false positive, and she's like, oh, whew, good girl, or something along those lines. Like, what? So this is all bad, right? Um, so I tell her the situation or whatever, and she sends me to the labs because in that facility, like, you get – tested in a separate place than you do like your blood and pee test and all that stuff so I go down to the lab and the lab is like here's your pee cup and I'm like oh also I had asked for a throat swab and they're like no nah, that's not like here in the chart so I'm like okay can you call the lady upstairs and <laughs> the way you're reacting is very funny that's how I felt too though um and I'm like running around this freaking building 
so uh they call her upstairs and she's like oh no no we don't do that and I'm like oh shit I should have just went to like one of the clinics that would have taken all day but I would have actually gotten what I wanted now I'm feeling like this is a waste of time if it is throat because then I'm gonna take a p-test and it's gonna come back negative and I'm like do I still have chlamydia I don't know um do I have it in the first place they hang up with her and I'm like can you call her back and can I speak to her and she's like yeah what are you asking for? And I'm like, a throat swab because I had only been having unprotected oral sex with this person. And she's like, throat? You can't get chlamydia in your throat. (laughs) Which is like, one, not true, right? Two, you can just Google it. But three, what happened upstairs when I asked you for a throat swab? Did you just not listen to me? Like, were you too focused on the fact that I didn't or did have syphilis? Like, what is going on? Yeah, that was all really frustrating. This is the first time in a while that a partner had ever told me that, like, they were positive with an STI. And I was like, oh, man, it just felt like bad and it shouldn't feel bad. But, you know, stigma still exists. And it's weird for me to say that because I preach like it's okay if you have STIs like on the show all the time. But I still felt bad about it um, being a fucking drama queen. So just like all of the emotional experience on top of the fact that, like, I'm dealing with this doctor who doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. It made me feel really bad. Turns out I did have chlamydia of my vagina, though, so good for her. She did, uh, yeah, she... She lucked out. Yeah, she <laughs> she really looked out for the kid in that instance. Um, but, yeah, I have had, like, numerous experiences. Like, that is what I talked about at STD Engage. I've had numerous experiences of me going to doctors for very specific things, like, outside of the... Uh, sexual health and reproductive provider space just because it is easier to get appointments outside of those space and time and time again like people not knowing what the hell they're talking about like with uh never being recommended to get an hpv vaccination and then i ended up with an abnormal pap smear and probably an hpv infection and even when that happened nobody told me that there was a correlation between hpv and a pap smear and even after nobody recommended that i should get an hpv vaccination i did and googled it on my own and then I got it like at my own um free will I guess or whatever trying to get on prep and that provider asking me if I have HIV already and me being like that is not absolutely not how prep works what are you talking about me trying to get on pep after um like a bad sexual situation that I don't really want to get into right now um but yeah, post-exposure prophylaxis. So me, like, going to the doctor, who took me, actually, uh, me going to the doctor the next day after the sexual encounter that went wrong, and once again, it was urgent care, actually, because this was uh, during New Year's, and there was nowhere else that I could go, but I wanted to stay on top of it, and I had asked the doctor for PEP, and he said, um, okay, cool, 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 and he's like, he didn't say cool, 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 he's not that bad, um, but he asked the nurse to come in and give me a rapid HIV test and before the nurse came in and gave the test or I maybe when they were like letting the results sit or something like that he's like okay so if the results come back negative do you still want to go on PEP and once again like that's absolutely not how PEP works so like how are you even how do you even have the authority to like prescribe something like that like you shouldn't be working here honestly like you should absolutely know that this is like kind of going to Akua's point of medical providers just like never knowing what they're talking about like if I wanted something bad enough from an urgent care I could get it like I've said like yeah I have a UTI and like not getting the p-test and still got antibiotics for it I remember one time I went to Ghana I was just like I need a hepatitis vaccination he didn't do anything he just gave it to me isn't that weird like (laughs) 
that's just that seems strange to me that seems like not the way that this should be working out and like that is not what it should be honestly like it also reminds me of like the opioid crisis where it's like people are telling these doctors about um opioids instead of doing their due research on it because if they did do their due research they would see that how addictive it is they're just like getting swindled by these pharmaceutical companies who are like yeah you should prescribe this to your patients and a patient comes in and says i have a headache and you're fucking prescribing them opioids and now they have like an addiction for the rest of their lives sorry (laughs) but yeah it's like really uh messed up out here may i interject for a moment um, so I'm a mental health professional and a part of me keeping my licensure is continuing education. So I have to have 36 units of continuing uh, education. I think that's close up to like about 36 hours where in that in that three year span of my license, I have to be going to workshops. I have to stay abreast on what is happening in my field. And I know that doctors have to renew their licenses, but I don't know what goes into that. And if that's not a part of it, it should be like you. I know it's it's good practice for doctors to be staying abreast on what is currently happening in the health field and what is shifting, because we know doctors be out here practicing for like half a half a century. You know, (laughs) they you would have doctors that delivered you from your mama is delivering your babies like um So I don't know what goes into them renewing their licensure, but uh, definitely it needs to be. In the, in the theme of destroying the system, it needs to be a requirement. Like, y'all have to be, you have to prove that you're, you know, doing this work, continuing this education, whether it's via testing or submitting. I have to submit my hours uh, and proof that I attended these workshops and things like that. But there has to be some kind of accountability for y'all not doing the same thing you did in 1955. Right. And that, like, speaks to modern advancements, but, like, even now, before, well, one, I think this was at STD Engage, somebody told us, like, the unit on sexual health was very small in the first place to even, like, get your license to practice in the very first place. I just think that there is some sort of issue with, what is it, like, bedside manner or patient yeah, yeah. care that people are not learning. Like, there are way too many doctors or, like, medical professionals on Twitter right now, like, making fun of the fact that they don't believe their patients when, like... Black women are dying at, like, severe rates in childbirth because people don't believe them when it comes to, like, Serena Williams almost fucking died. What? She's, like, the best athlete in the entire world. Like, no woman is expense. Beyonce almost died. What? So, what, what, uh, me? It shows that this is crossing, you know, this is crossing against economic um, statuses and that this is direct impact on race, on me as a person. Regardless of how much money I have, I was told that there are like classes and courses on bedside manners, but doc- it's it's a it's not a requirement as part of their degree. It's like an elective, and it's like an elective on how to talk to me and give me the service, like <laughs> literally. Um, I mean, maybe in regards to something like that, and I, I, yeah, it kind of reminds me of like how teachers get evaluated by outside people when they're there I don't really know how like doctors work so I guess when you're a resident is that what it's called someone might be like observing you but at the same time you might just like switch up as soon as you're not being observed anymore but then that also comes to this reminds me of like what some candidates are proposing for um police accountability like a paper trail of like documentation 
after all of these encounters. So like what you're saying, like a survey, like if a patient were to fill something out and it doesn't go through the doctor, but it goes through like an external review board who's like, okay, like something's going off the charts here with this particular doctor. This doctor is not treating their patients, right? Also, um, when speaking about continued education, because what we're talking about are two different problems that inter that interweave. We're talking about doctors that don't know anything. And then we're talking about doctors who also don't know anything, but also don't have any customer service. So the continued education would really be addressing the doctors that don't know anything because we all actively or passively collect information. But when you're being forced to sit through a workshop about, you know, new sexual identities, some of it's going to stick with you. So when your next client comes in and says, I'm pansexual, you'd be like, aha, I heard about that. You might still be biased, but you heard about it. We don't want them to be biased, but that is also internal work that they have to do. I don't want them to do internal work, though. Like, if you're not making it to the point where that internal work is done, like, if you're not a decent human being, license revoked. Fuck out of town. I don't want you to be here in actuality. Ideally, absolutely. But, like, I think, like Courtney was saying, yeah, how do you test that? Like, people can fake it. People fake it all the time. You know, like, the, I mean, that's what I mean in terms of like patients yeah. reporting oh, yeah. on them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The the service afterwards. Yeah, that makes sense. That should be a thing. I can't now that you asked. I'm like, why isn't that a thing? Because it's a service. Oh, yeah. true. What if there's a customer service person that's collecting the data to give the doctor to see only that data and then collect the info so that they can present a solution or whether it be. Um, deciding on medications or some sort of lifestyle change that needs to happen, which how often does that happen? Um, or some other proposed solution where you don't have any direct contact with the person who's taking the data and proposing the solution, only the person who is the people person, the middleman, so to speak, who's collecting the data and making you feel comfortable to open up and share all the information needed in order to get you the best care available. I hear what you're saying, but I think that's making too many channels for people who should just be nice, like, or just care or have empathy. Like, I don't, I get what you're saying, ideally, like, yeah, let's, but that's just like, that's not talking about the real problem, which is like, you are doing a job. When I don't do my job correctly, I get penalized for it. If I'm not being nice to this person, and this is in a completely different capacity, people can be yelling in your face, and you're like, oh, man, I got to be nice to this person so I can keep my job. And with a doctor's office, nine times out of nine point eight times out of ten, the person is there like, please help me. Like, they're not even coming in any type of way, just very open, willing to find out information. So this is just a one-on-one situation where a person's just like, I want to listen to what you have to say. And in that capacity, you're still not able to, like, muster up a mustard seed of like hey how are you doing today then that's too many things are going on where we're like oh we can make their jobs easier but it's just like damn i will take what you give me as long as it's right and you're listening to me like if you're interested in medicine or like drugs be a fucking pharmacist then if you didn't want to talk to anybody like be a researcher you chose to be a doctor like screw you hello cool essentially that just is a bigger band-aid so it's like a larger band-aid than the uh, sex educator. It's like bare minimum. The thing about doctors is that they go through so much school to get to where they are. The The least you can do is do your job and also do it well. You, you know, you don't, it's not like you're working 
so much money. Now, granted, yeah, okay, cool, congratulations. You got a whole lot of debt. It also be like that sometimes. But it's not like you work at Forever 21 where, you know, no offense if you work at Forever 21. However, the goal for Forever 21 is to sell clothes, not customer service. You should know that when you go in there, everything is fucking everywhere. That's Forever 21. The doctor's office, it's, it's customer service and customer care. You're caring about an individual. You're caring about their needs. So you also need to comp- be compassionate about their individual circumstance. You also need to be able to... You know, we all have biases. Yes, we all have internalized biases that may impact how we think. However, you as a doctor, you have to have the strength to look past your biases and take care of your patients. So you don't walk around putting these biases on everybody else who has to deal with you because it's not their fault. They didn't ask for you. 90% of the time, people don't fucking ask for these doctors. They just pull up. You make a doc, you make an appointment, and you walk in, and you're like, okay, that's the doctor I'm getting. And it's nine times out of ten, it also ain't the doctor you're going to get next time if you, or, if you are in a network. You don't even have any continuity. You just be seeing mad random people and shit. And that also makes you uncomfortable because now I have to start from scratch. So I know I already told this doctor everything. I have to tell you everything. But how are you going to react? This doctor reacted this way. Are you going to be the same way? Are you going to be different? Like, do, do your fucking oh, Or pay me. Pay me to do your job. I, I want I want some figures. That's a fact. If I if I have to Google what my symptoms are and tell you what I have beforehand, cut me a check back. Yeah. What, whatever the insurance is giving you, give it to me. <laughs> Just slide it on. Slide it on. I'm keeping my copay and 10%. Stop. Let me get it. I'm poor. I am broke. If I wasn't so poor, I'd be probably going to a better fucking doctor. However, we got broke nigga insurance, which means that we get the bottom of the barrel, unfortunately. I I don't have access to high quality care. And even if I did, they'd be still trash. But at least with the, the other bigger or more specialized practices that you don't like you that you need referrals to go to and stuff like that. Also, there's a lot more reviews on those people. So I can um, it's easier for me to find out this person's good. This person's trash. This person has a longer wait because it's like a person thing when it's a network. It's just a network. You can't really find out about these individual doctors. That's it's like it, it really trickles downhill where you just have to go with what your insurance gives you and hope for the best. You can't request a certain doctor. Like, you half the time, you can't request a person at the nail salon. It's just like, you get what you get, so. I want to add something, kind of piggyback off what Samantha said. I think the issue is not adding more people into the room. The issue is going back to the basic training. Like Sam said, if you get to the point of licensure and you you not good, you out the paint. That was really a part of my training. What was really harked on in my graduate program is knowing your biases knowing how to build rapport with clients, knowing how to speak with clients, knowing how to de-escalate things. And that's where we have to go back. Once you hit medical school, once you got that acceptance letter, it needs to be a part of their curriculum. It does not need to be an elective. It needs to be mandatory, at least three classes. And then when you're a resident or you're a fellow, whatever else comes afterwards, that needs to be a part of that review, that uh, supervision, that... um, whatever I'm, I'm a loss for words but it needs to be a part of what they're observing when you're as, as an intern when you're doing your fellowship or you're doing your residency after you finished all the education piece the whoever you report to has to be able to say you know what they got a great bedside manner check that out and if not they're like yo you, you gotta sit with us for six months whatever whatever it is like it has to be it it cannot no longer be an elective or you know maybe i'll take it it has to be the requirement it has to be the standard we need to incentivize change by hitting them pockets. I mean, I get tested at a nonprofit 
And my goal is to increase their visibility because it's such a good service that it deserves to be uplifted. I feel comfortable when I go there. I don't feel judged. I feel like the people who are asking me the questions that they're asking me are genuinely concerned for um, how they can best provide the absolute best care for me. And on my end, I just need to be honest with them. Like they recommended... um, or they asked me questions to decide whether or not I was a candidate for PrEP. So, uh, Sam, kind of going back to what you said earlier about having to ask for PrEP rather than, you know, you having to go in and ask for it. You know, they're asking me the questions to determine, uh, I guess, my risk factors and decide whether or not I'm a candidate to uh, be on PrEP. And they were, I mean, I even asked, you know, why'd you ask? And they talked me through the reasoning behind it as well. So it's really important for us to be able to increase the visibility of organizations like this that do a genuinely good job. I want to add something and then uh, I want Rob to share their piece. It's nice to, you know, highlight those that are doing the work well, but when the problem is ubiquitous, when the problem is everywhere and we use that model those good people get burnt out they can't see everybody they can't see everybody that's another good point a good provider is hard to come by so we're cutting close on time and i said 90 minutes it's close to that now rob before you start i wish i would have just recorded your video at engage this is what we need a button is really aiming to combat all of those experiences that you shared um, in the video. And I know that that had to have been draining on you. So um, if at any point you need to take care of yourself through this or even immediately after whatever, please do what you need to do in order to take care of yourself. But I just really appreciate that you were so willing to put your story out there because this is really going to be something that helps move the needle forward in terms of us getting better health care accessible to getting better overall health care and that empathy is such a crucial element to this and your story really highlights the importance of even the slightest bit of empathy you're welcome oh hold on boom Okay, well, thank you. I really appreciate that because that video took a lot out of me. Like this conversation probably will take a lot out of me, but here I am. Um, So my last experience with a sexual reproductive health provider was um, through the VA. So I am a veteran. I also have a history of HPV. That's like been my best friend. Me and HPV go together like uh, sugar and cereal. Oh, Kool-Aid, there you go. So I went to like a regular gynecologist outside of the VA uh, for a you know general vaginal health checkup. So I got tested, and I also had a pap smear. And my pap smear was abnormal, and I didn't want to go through the VA. I just wanted to go to a regular convenient doctor. However, with my, my insurance at the time, there was only a couple of gynecologists that I can go to, even fewer did colposcopies. So I had a two month wait for a colposcopy and I didn't know what was going on. It could have been as far as cervical cancer because I didn't have a pap smear in a long time. It could have been as small as lesions, benign lesions, something that I didn't want to play with as I had precancer before and had to have surgery. So I went through the VA and um, 
I just gave them my results and he's like, oh, all right, cool. You definitely need a colposcopy. He did my colposcopy with no issue. So that was really nice. Um, but then that came back positive as well for um, high risk cells, cells that there was a good chance they could possibly turn to cancer. So I needed a leap. So I went in for that. So that experience was, um, A, he kept telling me how it wasn't painful. The thing is, is that I had a provider with a penis, did not have a vagina, definitely didn't have a cervix, but he kept telling me how the leap would not be painful, how the colposcopy was more painful than the leap. Um, The first thing, I was also very nervous. Um, Of course, that's a common thing before any surgery. Being nervous is a completely reasonable reaction. But my nervousness made him nervous. That's what it seemed like. Uh, He didn't um, offer any reassurance. It was very, um, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen after. And, but there was no, um, no empathy at all within the situation. Luckily, there were some black women nurses that came into the room because I was so scared that I was, I mean, I was crying, but like sobbing and like, you know, uh, like when you convulse when you sob, like my whole body shaking. Um, And then I was also fucking cold. It was so cold in there. They had to bring a personal heater. I got my legs open, about to get my cervix zapped and they have no heat, but you know, it'd be like that sometimes. And he didn't warn me about the pain that is associated with uh, anesthetic going into your cervix. That is the most painful thing I've ever felt in my life. Because, I mean, your cervix got nerves, bro. That's a big-ass needle that they're putting in there. And then they're injecting liquid into it that does not go into it. And he just, I mean, when I say no reassurance, it was like, like a dentist, you know, when dentists just be fucking your shit up and it, but it's just so normal for them to cause people pain. They're so numb to it. But I feel like with reproductive health, there's so many different layers physically and psychologically that you have to have some kind of empathy. Like this is my cervix you're talking about. This is when my future child's going to get pushed through. And you're talking about surgeries on top of surgeries, on top of prior STDs. So now I'm worried about my reproductive health. I'm nervous about, will I be able to have kids? You're not telling me about the risk associated with it. I knew there was a risk. He didn't advise me on the risk associated with it. There is definitely a risk with the leap when it comes to having children, low birth weight and things like that, because you're removing a piece of the cervix. But he almost made me feel like I had no other option, which I feel like I probably did. But as we're talking about, why do I have to do all of the research? I am not a gynecologist, and my job is to trust you. But I go get my anesthetic, still crying, but, you know, of course I'm not in pain as my cervix was numb. But he didn't explain, um, you know, exactly what was going to happen. I actually had to Google, watch videos, and just do my a lot of research about what the actual procedure was. So when they put this pad on me, luckily, like, I'm an IT specialist, so I knew that it was a grounding pad, which was, like, a wild thought. But, like, they're just putting shit on me, and I have no idea what they're putting on me. I realized after me when I was done freaking out, like, oh, shit, that was, like, really electricity. They use electricity to um, remove the cancer cells. But I just, I had no idea what was going on. All he kept telling me was, "Eh, it's not, it's just going to be a little uncomfortable, but it'll be fast. 
15 minutes in the cervix is not fast. That is a very fucking long time. It felt like forever. And I had to keep as still as I could. But when I tell you I was just crying, I cried the entire time. And, you know, I'm very thankful for those nurses because they got me a blanket and they were just like, you know, being, being very motherly, like um, rubbing my back and rubbing my head and, you know, telling me it's going to be OK. I'm I'm doing so well. I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm so strong. It was so appreciative because, you know, all you get is the anesthetic on your, your cervix. I wish they would have gave me a fucking Valium, but he was so impersonal to me. He's a white man, older white man, probably like in his mid to late 60s. But it was, he just didn't give a fuck at all, um, especially knowing that you're treating veterans um, who, like, I literally at that time, I just came back. It was like a few months after I came home. So you, we, we're already pretty messed up when we come home from, you know, just trying to deal with that transition, being home. And then I have to ho- go have surgery. Um, so to, to end the experience. So with the VA, um, any prescriptions, anything that they prescribe me, I get for free. So I knew I was going to be in pain, um, and I asked him for, and I also get uh, chronic yeast infections and, like, BV, but I've, I figured that I probably wouldn't have BV, but definitely a yeast infection. So I asked him, can you prescribe me two Diflucans, and I'll take one today, and I'll take one in five days. That's usually how I do it to just control the flora so it doesn't, you know, grow out of control, because I know that. I know my care when it comes to my vagina in that sense. And he hesitated. I'm like, well, the thing is, if you don't do it, then I'm going to have to go back to the doctor to do this. Or you can just give it to me. Or I'm going to have to use a suppository if I can't get to the doctor. But I shouldn't be putting anything in my vagina because I just had surgery. So please give me the fucking Diflucan. So he gives me the Diflucan. And then I also asked him for um, Advil because, you know, you can get over-the-counter Advil, but A, you can only get like 200 milligrams with uh, out of prescription and B I didn't have any Advil at home. Uh, I don't really use Advil. I knew that that would help with the pain. And he didn't say this to me. He said this to one of the nurses. Oh, why can't she just buy Advil? Advil's at Rite Aid. Advil's there. Advil's that like, like Advil's so accessible. Yes, it's accessible, but also at the time I was fucking broke. I wasn't trying to buy Advil. While I was going to go through the whole fucking bottle trying to get rid of these cramps when I knew that I can get it for free. It was very classist of him to judge just the just because it's something that he could afford that it was something that I could afford. Because let me tell you, Advil ain't fucking cheap. Even like non-name brand ibuprofen is not cheap. And you really don't want to have to take half a bottle where you could just take one pill and be good for the rest of the day. And I also shouldn't have to explain that to you. It's not coming out of your pocket. So anyway, that's my experience with my cervix. I mean, in general, my experiences with sexual and reproductive health providers, it just hasn't been great. Um, I've had one or a couple of really good gynecologists who respected me, who listened and guided me with different options so I could kind of tailor my own health care. But a lot of my experiences were very judgmental. Only recently I've been asked who I have sex with. If I'm having sex with men, women, or men and women. The first time that's happened to me was last year. And I've been having sex for almost 15 years. Depending on who you have sex with, what kind of um, genitals they have, STDs vary. 
you know, you could there there's higher STD rates for people with vaginas who have sex with people with vagina for certain STDs. It doesn't all fit together, but if you don't know who I'm having sex with, you just know I'm having sex, you might not test for these things. It just doesn't occur to you. But that's also with coming with knowledge that doctors a lot of doctors, gynecologists they're not taking the time to ask the questions. And even if they do ask the questions, not taking the time to understand what those answers mean. Yeah, this should be rough. I don't enjoy going to the doctor for any kind of vaginal thing. And until recently, I was very sexually active. And I can't say that every time I was um, having protected sex, sometimes I thought I was having protected sex and I wasn't. And when I would go to get tested, a lot of it was an issue. Why are you having so many STD tests? Damn, because I don't want to have STDs. That's crazy, you know? And a lot of the times, actually almost every time, I haven't had an STD in almost 10 years, but I've been tested a billion times. So my tests come back negative, but the fact that I have so many tests is alarming to doctors. They're wondering why I'm getting tested so much. And instead of just asking me, you know, bare minimum instead of judging but saying are you having protected sex is is it that you're having unprotected sex while you're getting so many tests and go from there like maybe I can help this person counsel this person on better sex practices um different kind of um contraceptive methods and barriers um making sure they understand that birth control doesn't protect you from STDs STIs making sure you understand that HPV even if you wear a condom you're you're still likely to get it that you can get STDs in your asshole, like, you know, trying to counsel you through all the different things. But a lot of that is lacking. It's just, it just became a lot of judgment. And that really makes you not want to keep going back because you think you're doing the right thing by trying to take care of your body. And they're telling you, clearly you're doing the wrong thing. Like, I'm not going to not have sex, so I'm just going to get tested less. So I don't have to deal with that stigma. I mean... All right, I'm done. <laughs> Just to piggyback off of what you're saying, I think I think I realized one of the issues is there used to be a time that doctors were the end all be all for everything. I think there's this antiquated that belief that is just like, all right, I'm a doctor, I'm gonna come in here, whatever you say, like I'm gonna just fuck with it because it used to be, I I couldn't pick up my phone and Google something or you know I'm not gonna pick up this encyclopedia, I'm just gonna go to the doctor and whatever they say, I'm gonna do it. Um, I had went to a doctor once and they just touched my stomach because I said I had like, I think I, I had I was constipated or something. They they said I would, they touched my stomach and prescribed me something that literally had like at least 30 cases of like malpractice or whatever because it was giving people like kidney disease. And I'm like, you did not perform any test of any kind. You touched my stomach and said, I, I'm going to prescribe this for you. And had I not taken that extra step to go and Google it, which is like something at one point in time nobody could do. I can see why shit was getting messed up. You know what I mean? So I think that comes down to, to everything. It's just they're not used to being questioned. It's like I'm just going to say whatever I have to say, whatever I feel is right or this, that, and forth. And for people, like, for instance, when that person was there for, like, 60 years, I mean, 60 years old, he's probably been doing it for 40 years. I'm going to just – you become numb to it. You're not doing anything. You're not thinking about anything new. You're just used to no type of resistance to what you say. And that type of power can just kind of make somebody an asshole without thinking about it because they're just like, I, I can do whatever. I'm a doctor. You're going to believe whatever I say. And I think that's where the problem is coming up because now we're questioning it. Like, now, nah, like, if I'm kind of scared now because people are dying. People are getting hurt. People are doing all this type of stuff, and I'm going to question it. 
But if they aren't scared of that, if they're not scared of that and they just think they can do whatever, that's what the problem is. It's just like a, I'm a doctor. Come on. You're going to believe me. Yeah. I've had many experiences where I felt like the providers wanted me to just believe them and get out of the office. So I have now, um, because I have a degree in human biology and a lot of the things that I learned was a people don't believe uh black people black women black people with vaginas they just whatever they think is right is right and whatever you feeling is not valid so I make sure that I I take a lot of time to ask a thousand questions I want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying I want to make sure that I understand what you're saying but it also holds up the line because it's like 10 people outside and they want to get to the next room they want to get through as many people as possible now you're not on schedule but that's on you to make sure you have enough time with patients. So if that does happen, that you're not frazzled because I don't want to feel rushed in this process. Um, I've been told because, you know, with, with antibiotics, I am successful to yeast infections. So just like I asked for Diflucan, I asked for Diflucan in another setting and I was told to drink cranberry juice. I was told to drink cranberry juice to prevent a yeast infection. And it was like, so many levels of like how how did you come up to this how did you come to this conclusion i just it's so many so many so many levels it was so silly it's such a silly thing to say especially in a, a healthcare environment like cranberry juice i would have taken eat cranberries i probably would have taken that like i mean it's still like you know two different parts of the fuck of the the, the vagina vaginal area but i would have been like okay maybe you got confused but drink cranberry juice which has like five percent juice but okay whatever you want to say or I've been told that my vaginal pain wasn't severe enough to warrant anything stronger than Advil well the, actually ironically enough the UTI thing or the the yeast infection UTI thing was a woman but she was a white woman but with the pain with the pain actually no with the pain a lot of it was men people with penises but a couple of times it was also white women. And I'm telling them that the pain is so severe that, I mean, when I tell you I can't walk sometimes, like I have to sit with my legs open, I can't wear underwear, I'm in excruciating pain. But sometimes the only thing that numbs the pain is alcohol. And I'm asking them, can I have something stronger than Advil? No, we don't prescribe anything stronger than Advil for vaginal pain. So if I break my fucking arm, and it hurts just as much as my vagina. The fact that it's my vagina, I can't p- get prescribed something stronger. I'm not trying to be out here taking mad opioids for no reason. However, I need to function. I cannot walk because my pussy hurt. So I've been prescribed Tremadol before for my vaginal pain, and it worked wonderfully. I only took half a pill, and I was able to get about my life. But I had to fight for it. I had to fight for it so much I had to hoard it, and I still have it. Because sometimes it gets bad and I have to take one. And I, I shouldn't have to live my life like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of myself tonight. Because talking about this honestly, you know, when I made that video with Sam, I was okay. And then I went home and I was so sad. And I even, I think before we recorded that video, I'm talking about the video that we made for STD Engage. Um, even before I made that video, I started experiencing a lot of anxiety. And I didn't realize how the care that I got with my sexual health how much it really impacted me to the point where that was like physically anxious 
I recorded the video, hung out with Sam, watched some anime. I went home to do whatever I had to do. And I was so depressed. I was so depressed. And I cried and I was miserable. And I think at that point, it even led me to suicidal ideation. And not to say that that point triggered it. I had a plethora of other things going on, but that added so much to it. Just having to relive the things that doctors have told me and the shame that they put on me just trying to live my life and trying to be happy. Um, I think I'm strong enough to be okay today. But if anything, I'll text my counselor. (laughs) All right. This concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, share these podcast episodes. It means more to us than anything else. Uh, Just getting this content out there and it helps us with getting higher numbers, getting these stories to the people who need them the most. And now the overall big picture mission is for us to be able to provide therapy and pay for it for the people who find us, however they come across us, whether it be uh, via a herpes diagnosis or positive STI, or if they're experiencing a traumatic event or belong to a stigmatized group, find their way here and decide that they want to take the next practical step in healing through their shame. This episode specifically touches on the issues that we face in the healthcare, in the public health and healthcare field. Um, and these stories are so critical because not only do they harp on um, the client patient perspective, but it's also the care provider. I think that this is something that really um, shows them that this goes on and people are going to share their stories like we have here an accountability piece because we can't just continue to allow people to get away with dismissing um, someone's pain or not being as informed as they should be or not acknowledging a person's identity or um, just overlooking the person and looking at them as a number or as a symptom and each and every one of these we need a button stories and you can head over to waxo waxoh.com and check out more of these stories but this is just something that I'm hoping moves the needle in the direction of having a way for people to recognize that their providers are going to be uh, sex positive, queer friendly, empathetic, and genuinely just good people. And like we said earlier, like the bare minimum is that you do a good job. So I want to thank the Inner Whole Uprising podcast for making the time to come on here. Sam, Rebecca, Cool, Rob, y'all are great. And I so appreciate y'all having taken the time to uh, bear with me. I was going through a real tough time when we recorded this podcast. And um, I talked to Sam about everything that was going on. But you all were great. Y'all carried this podcast episode. I had to literally go back (laughs) and record my voice alone now that I'm in a much better place and plug it in there. in these strategic spots where um, before, like, I, I just, I wasn't really present. I was asking questions. It was just really uncharacteristic of me. So um, I'm very thrilled with how this podcast paid off, or turned out, and I definitely paid for it with editing time. <laughs> uh, I think it's best from now on that if I'm having a bad something that um, I just not 
record or postpone or reschedule. But these podcast hosts were amazing. I strongly encourage if you are hearing this episode that you hop over and subscribe to the Inner Whole Uprising podcast. All right. Um, if you want to get in contact with me, I'm on social media at H on my chest. I'm really distancing. <laughs> I'm really distancing myself from being on social media so much. I'm uh, going to be starting yoga teacher training here. Well, by the time this is released, I will have started yoga teacher training. So um, I normally do a lot of the podcasting stuff in the middle of the day and on the weekends, but the middle of the day is going to have to be dedicated now to doing more of uh, my work work stuff, personal training, and uh, working on yoga stuff that I want to get in place. So, um, yeah, the, the podcast is still going to release on a weekly basis. It's just my involvement on social media won't be as heavy. So if you need to get in contact with me uh, right away, visit spfpp.org. You can contact me multiple ways there. Or you can just email me directly, Courtney at spfpp.org. Till next time, stay sex positive.